0: Coming up on the Shelley Irwin Show podcast today, it's the first of its kind in the state of Michigan, Dinks and Dingers, we discuss. Travel author and photographer Lucas Peters presents Grand European Journeys. Also, the 2024 World Almanac's Garden Guide is out. It's Eating Disorders Awareness Week, and the book, Whistle Stop Politics, Campaign Trains and the Reporters Who Covered Them.
1: It's first of its kind in the state of Michigan, and it's led by my guest entrepreneur, Andy Anderson, providing six top tier indoor pickle courts, four outdoor pickle courts, regulation sized wiffle ball. I haven't played that since fourth grade. It's pretty good field for open play. Wait, there's more. So let's talk about Dinks and Dingers, which is described as an innovative new sports and entertainment venue uh, here in the Kentwood area to be uh, groundbroken soon.
2: Good that you're here, Andy. Hey, thanks, Shelley. Thanks for having me. Oh,
1: are you a, a wiffle pickleball player?
2: I am. I'm an avid pickleball player, and uh, my son and I play quite a bit of wiffle ball as well. Nice.
1: You're an entrepreneur to boot.
2: Yes. Yes, I am. Yes.
1: Well, I know uh, a lot of backstory uh, have been in the final stages with the city of Kentwood Kentwood to rezone a whole property, city planning commissions, but you're ready to make the announcement, aren't you?
2: Yes. The uh, rezoning, uh, the final vote happened last week and the announcement uh, was the very next day and I'm just happy that uh, we're past that stage and looking forward to the groundbreaking. Great.
1: Let's look at way forward and then back up. When uh, do you anticipate uh, uh, my first playing pickleball on your courts? When will this open in a perfect world?
2: Uh, the conservative estimate would be January of 25. I'm hoping, <laughs> well, uh, I'm hoping for November, December of this year.
1: Okay. All right. Well, but looking at it realistically, uh, less than a year.
2: Yes. How's correct. that?
1: Dinks and dingers. How do you describe your
2: dream to come? So I know that, um, you know, pickleball's picking up, you know, everyone's doing it. Uh, And about two years ago, I became an avid player in pickleball. And I noticed there was something lacking with uh, a place for players to go to afterwards and socialize. And I saw these restaurants being built in the southern states that had this restaurant and indoor and outdoor pickleball courts. And I was like, that would be just the perfect thing to bring up to Grand Rapids. And so I'm happy that I can finally do that and, and that I will be the first you know, uh, facility built from the ground up to be a pickleball uh, and restaurant.
1: And uh, some wiffle ball and some private and corporate events uh, to play and certainly dot, dot, dot more. Where will you uh, be located?
2: So we'll be located at 5080 Broadmoor, which is at the intersection of 52nd and Broadmoor. Um, it's on the way to the airport. If you get off on M6, I picked that location specifically for those that will travel from, you know, Lansing and Holland, uh, as well as anybody in the Grand Rapids area can easily get to it within 20 minutes.
1: Yes, accessibility key. Why the name Dinks and Dingers?
2: <laughs> That's a good question. If, mm-hmm. if you don't play the sports, it's going to go over your head, but a dink is a special shot within pickleball. And then a dinger, if you've ever played baseball or softball, is another name for home run which, so it reflects the wiffle ball side. Yes.
1: We don't hear much about uh, wiffle ball. I know you and your son uh, both have a passion for, for baseball, but you're bringing uh, baseball indoors with wiffle ball?
2: Yeah, one night I was walking by uh, was on my way to bed and he was watching his YouTube, he was watching Major League Wiffle Ball, and then I sat down with him and started watching it too. And, and then I remembered we used to uh, do the Mission Field tournament here in Grand Rapids, which would always fill up within the first day. So I know that there is an interest in wiffle ball, especially for players that play baseball or softball in the summer, spring, fall. They have nowhere to play in the winter.
1: You are accommodating to to certainly our West Michigan lifestyle. Calling all pickleball fanatics! Fanatics, new pickleball play and eat social club. This new dinks and din- dingers to open. Uh, oh perhaps this year, maybe early 2025, but we'll follow right along. Tell me, Andy Anderson, about uh, the restaurant side of this and perhaps a, a, a typical I dine and then I play pickleball?
2: Yeah. Um, so the restaurant will be, it's not a huge restaurant. You know, I'm not trying to uh, reinvent the wheel. Uh, there's plenty of great restaurants here in Grand Rapids. It will be a place for a family of four to come, have lunch, and then rent a court for two hours, or if you're in one of our nightly leagues, you'll go to your league, play two hours of pickleball, and then come to the bar, have a few drinks, and grab a few appetizers.
1: Drink after the game, right? After the oh, game. Oh, yeah. Can one just come to the restaurant?
2: Yes, uh, Dinks and Dingers will be open to the public for you know, lunches, dinners. Uh, you don't have to play any sport to just come and hang out.
1: But get with the program, as they say are you to be supported by yearly memberships and obviously uh, walk-ins uh, welcome
2: yes walk-ins will always be welcome i have i will have memberships uh i've only released one right now because we're not open the other memberships will be released once we are you know get closer to the grand opening but the one membership we've released so far gives you about two years of membership starting now uh as well as the first year that we're open and it's a very special membership everyone's been um really excited about it there's a ton of benefits it's kind of like the insiders club the sneak peek Um, we'll have uh, the founding members it's called the 100 founding members club and so they'll be able to uh, walk through the building as it's being built multiple times before the ground opening Um, they'll have a uh, a voice on the menu they'll do all the tastings there's a lot of perks and benefits to it that aren't necessarily uh, written out on my website.
1: Andy, uh, you do want to, uh, uh, call this potentially, a, a unique, a uh, one of a kind, the state of the art in Michigan. How, uh, what, what do you need from the community to make this, uh, this title happen as Pickleball City?
2: Yeah, I'd say, um, play pickleball. <laughs> yeah, just come on over once we're open and Play pickleball, get your uh, um, your corporate event. You know, I think whiffball ball would be great corporate event. You know, you don't really get sweaty. Uh, we'll have some bleachers there and a, um, a container box. It's going to be really cool, really fun to hang out there. Nice,
1: Andy. Uh, also, um, there will be ping pong, shuffleboard, cornhole, because you're embracing the whole inside and outside social club environment. I'm just getting a full picture here.
2: That's correct. When people come to Dinks and Dingers, I want them to have fun, and that's what we're we're uh, we're doing here.
1: Did you? Uh, uh, I mean, you you and your partner Sean took first place in the Beer City Open Tourney back at uh, back in July of 2023.
2: That's correct. We uh, we took uh, the gold medal at Beer City Open. There's multiple levels. You know, we're um, he, he's the same caliber of player as I am um, so we're not like pros you know there's different levels just like there is in tennis but we took gold in our division
1: you could be a pro if you you know if you weren't so entrepreneurship and, and thinking of others thank goodness you are well uh, obviously uh, lessons will be shared if one is interested in starting pickleball when your facility opens
2: yes we'll have an on-site pro that will give lessons group clinics Um, one-on-one lessons as well as uh, those that sign up early for the Founding Members Club will have lessons with me, as well as there will be a group lesson with a actual professional uh, pickleball player that's on the circuit.
1: And again, it's home will be at, if we want specifics, 5080 Broadmoor?
2: That's correct. Hmm.
1: Yes. All right, uh, what's the secret to winning a, uh, uh, a match with pickleball? I
2: would say the secret is patience. You gotta have patience. You can't just rush to the ball. You have to kind of approach the ball, collect your your shot, and then decide where you're going with the ball.
1: Yes, but start somewhere. All right. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, the dream is becoming more and more of a ra- reality. We will follow your success and and maybe even get involved. Dinks and Dingers, described as an innovative new sports and entertainment venue, set to open in early, hopefully, winter of 2024. But now's the time to plan. Andy Anderson, how do we find out more information?
2: You can always go to our website, www.dinksanddingers.com. Great.
1: Thanks for what you do. Continue the dream and uh, appreciate uh, your talents. Take care. Thank you, Shelley. Travel author, photographer, and he can help you design the perfect trip again and again with the help of his new book, Grand European Journeys, 40 Unforgettable Trips by Road, Rail, Sea, and more. I'm looking forward to seeing what more includes. I look forward to this conversation with you, Lucas Peters. Good morning.
0: Good morning, Shelley. Thanks for having me on.
1: Appreciate you. And uh, where do you live in Tangier?
0: Yeah, Tangier, Morocco.
1: Oh, like, are you there now?
0: I am. I'm calling. Yeah, we're talking. I'm in Tangier, Morocco, right now.
1: Nice. What's your, uh, what's it look like out your back window?
0: Out my back window, it is sunny. Uh, probably about 68 degrees. Yeah. Uh, light wind coming out of the uh, out of the west. Great. Probably.
1: Nice. Well, again, uh, practicing what you preach and and living where you explore, and obviously asking us to explore as well, Grand European Journeys. Define the
0: title. Well, you know, the title is inspired from when people used to explore the continent, you know, this idea of doing the Grand European Journey. Uh, And back then, it was a singular sort of journey. But we thought, hey, these days, you know, there's a lot of different ways to experience Europe. So let's update that for the 21st century.
1: Yes, the world in which we live. So here we are, you looking to design a perfect trip again and again. First of all, um, how important is it to uh, to the first timer to plan appropriately?
0: I think, for those traveling outside of the u s particularly or even outside of your backyard for the first time, I think you know uh, a little bit of trip planning goes a long ways. I think beyond you know the obvious your your plane tickets, I think having your hotels, uh, your major transportation, and maybe a few guided experiences or something that you really look forward to, having these already purchased ahead of time alleviates some of the stress of travel, I find.
1: What would be, a Nick, an experience for a first-timer? Where would you send me?
0: First-timer to Europe, that's a tough one. Mm. I'd want to have a big conversation with you. (laughs) What are you interested in? But for my money, I mean, Paris is, uh, you know, it just lives up to everything. Uh, You know, you ever read about it. Uh, you do Paris, you know, right. And I think that that is one of those things that just fulfills in a way like a Hawaii sort of fulfills. You know, every time you go to Hawaii, it's fantastic. I feel I feel the same way about Paris.
1: It's on my list for next year. You ask us to well, let's explore more city hop from London to Paris, Amsterdam to Brussels, Rome to Florence and more. How does this uh, concocted?
0: Well, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, Europe is is smaller than we maybe are thinking as Americans in in some ways, uh, and in other ways as well. It's just super well connected between the railroads and the the inexpensive flights. You know, going from you know one city to another, the city hopping, you know, is, is something that. It's almost a rite of passage, or even a way of life, I think, in Europe. And it makes a lot of sense to connect cities, yeah, like uh, Florence and a Milan, or uh, you know, Madrid and Barcelona, or London and Paris. You know, these these it just makes a lot of sense to make the most out of your journey and try to hit two big uh, kind of cultural capitals if you can. Yes,
1: your tagline is 40 unforgettable trips by road, rail, sea, and more. Take me to a place by rail
0: place by rail. Ooh, you know, um, mm. a place that not a lot of people, not on, on a lot of people's radar right now, I don't think, is the Dororo Rail in Portugal. Uh, and this will take you out of, uh, out of Porto uh, in northern Portugal and just through some beautiful scenery. And if you do it during the summer... On a weekend, you can even take an old steam train liner, just to give you a little of that nostalgia of doing a steam train. That I think is just it, it, it's a bit more magical than the high-speed uh, trains, but really, really interesting.
1: Talking with Lucas Peters, travel author, photographer, and writer of Grand European Journeys, 40 Unforgettable Trips by Road, Rail, Sea, and more. Of course, Moon, important with the publication. How about the outdoor adventure? You talk about Dublin, you talk about Copenhagen and beyond.
0: Yeah, outdoor adventures, you know, for me, I'm more of a mountain guy. I mean, I grew up around Seattle, so going up into the Cascades all the time. So when I get a chance to dive into the Alps, you know, that's kind of where I I typically think for outdoor adventures. There's some lovely walks, you know, that we cover in like the UK and all of that. But for me, it's it's really like. The Tour de Mont Blanc, you know, it's the it's the hiking the the Mont Blanc trail, like what that takes you through France, through Italy, through Switzerland, you know, stuff like that. To me, is like high adventure, just fantastic, beautiful, great food. Uh, and nothing like carrying the world on your backpack, you know. Nice. Of
1: course, uh, we here very blessed with water in Michigan, but you do remind us traveling on the water, perhaps the Greek islands, south of England to the north of France, and more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, for this guidebook, you know, I got to go for the first time ever to the Canary Islands in wow. Spain, um, and that that was another like, great way to remind myself that Europe is just more than, you know, I, you know, more than just the continent. You know, there are a series of islands. Whether you're talking Mediterranean or this was my first time getting out to the some of the Atlantic islands, uh, so the Canary Islands that we include there as, as well, I think are it, it's a good reminder and a whole different flavor of Europe, really.
1: What else would you like us to know when it comes to choosing our best way to travel in these times, Lucas?
0: Well, I think, you know, be honest with yourself, you know, uh, don't try to do too much. You know, I I think uh, as Americans, we are notorious for trying to pack everything we can in 10 days or in 14 days or in seven days. And I think part of the joys of Europe is giving yourself a leisure day, giving yourself, a you know, a few afternoons where you're not going to a museum, you're not touring a cathedral, you know. You're just sort of living life and uh, getting into the local flavor of what makes, you know, this, this place, be it Amsterdam or 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 Germany or, you know, France or Italy or whatever, what makes this different than, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan? You know, what what Good. is that feeling? What is that sensation, you know?
1: Is there a place you have yet to explore?
0: Uh, that I have yet to explore in Europe? Um, I haven't been to, like, the micro countries of, like, Andorra yet. Like, there's a couple, like, Liechtenstein and Andorra that I haven't quite crossed off my list yet. And sadly, although I've lived in France for years, i spent about five, five years of my life living in France, I've never been to Bordeaux. So that's that's, mm. that's a big uh, – I, I feel like that's a big blight on my reputation here as a, as a European kind of travel guy.
1: <laughs> and what about Morocco?
0: Morocco? I fell in love with Morocco uh, back in 2009. You know, I uh, arrived here. I lived here for a few years. Then uh, my wife and I moved up to Paris, um, was based there for a while. And then, uh, yeah, about uh, right before COVID, actually, we decided to come back to Morocco. And I run a boutique travel company here, Journey Beyond Travel. Um, and I focus strictly on new Morocco tours.
1: All right, final uh, words from you, and best way to find out more about your latest work, Grand European Journeys, please.
0: Grand European Journeys you can find on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or my favorite, go to your local indie bookstore. Um, yeah, pick it up, support it, leave a, leave a nice word on wherever you feel, Goodreads, Amazon, et cetera. Um, we all appreciate the support, everybody who supports travel writing. It's fantastic. Thank you
1: that of course uh, get out and about uh, whether browsing markets in the quaint villages seeing the masterpieces and more lucas peters thank you
0: hey thank you so much for having me on i appreciate it
1: your garden grow soon we will know well maybe a little delayed here in our west michigan as winter in full uh, full steam ahead the 2024 garden guide however will get you in the mood it blooms with color and inspiration and you know better than anyone about what's inside editor of the 2024 garden guide carol conhair good morning to you carol
3: good morning thanks for having me on welcome how does your garden grow Well, right now we've got snow on the ground here in Dublin, New Hampshire, but I've got some plants started under some lights.
1: As I'm sure you will recommend. Big picture, tell me about this 2024 Garden Guide. I know you are uh, also associated uh, with the Old Farmer's Almanac.
3: Yes, the Old Farmer's Almanac, which is 230 two going on 233 years old Mm -hmm. so the garden guide is really a baby we've been doing garden guides for only 40 or 50 years so you know um, just a thing or two (laughs) we've learned over that time this one what I love really captures what I see all around me and maybe you too you know trends like Mm -hmm. so much more um, container gardening year round gardening um, you know families growing food uh, people wanting to even have food indoors grow a bit of lettuce here and there so Uh, this really captures, I think, what's going on with gardeners and the growing um, popularity of it.
1: Yes. This is available in Hard Guide before we go into the details, correct? Absolutely. Making sense of fragrant plants. Let's start here. And that sense is S-C-E-N-T-S. Tell me about this.
3: Well, we know, uh, studies show that, you know, these wonderful aromas are really good for our well-being and even cognition, and so gardeners, of course, are no stranger to having beautifully smelling um, shrubs and flowers in their yards, and so this is a guide telling people what you can add to your yard that's going to smell beautiful, and also where to add it, you know, putting them at entries to your home so that, that some of that aroma comes inside as well. Yes.
1: You have a whole section uh reminding us to embrace non traditional methods. Tell us more here.
3: Uh yes, like um you mean in terms of trends, we things yeah. like, you know, if you've got a stump in your backyard, why yep. not turn it into a planter? And um things like, yeah, we all hate our those leaves that come down, but that's an excellent, excellent fertilizer if you can wait two years and create leaf mold. Um you know, again, we're seeing tons of people be creative and putting plants and and edible flowers and vegetables into any kind of container <laughs> and herbs. So there's a lot of that going on, and community gardening um, is really is really picked up, and and that can be anywhere. That people are turning brown fields into places to meet, greet, and grow.
1: This, of course, sharing useful tips and wisdom for how to make the most of the garden experience. This is the 2024. 2024- garden guide thanks to editor carol conair exploring the exotic edible and evil sides of growing you know i have to ask about the evil side
3: oh this is fun um and author steve bender he's a really wonderful southern he's called the grumpy gardener in the south so we always love to have him uh bring a few things our way and this is really a fun story about um, plants that have yes bad sides like Poison ivy is certainly one we know, but plants that have particularly um uh pokey things on them. We talk about um it's the um it's the uh what is it called? The hardy orange. Um and that one has these awesome, awesome spikes on it. Also prickly pears and other thorny and spiny plants. And so, you know, the fun is that lots of these are actually really lovely. And also they can actually be good deterrents to maybe if you've got some deer coming in your yard, you know, they don't like to get poked. So, um, you know, these are, we call them beastly benefits. Uh, So there are things that can, you know, be good about <laughs> Plants that maybe are not as friendly as, you know, something else.
1: Yes. What about uh, this get reacquainted with portable pots?
3: Well, that's what we're really seeing. Um, one of the, the biggest growing areas is ju- for both ornamental and for you know um, gardeners who want to grow food is container gardening. And so, you know, people we have several stories that talk about um, you know how to use how to use containers in your garden for extra you know oomph. Um, but also, you know, how you can use these for accessibility of gardening. So, you know, as we age, it's harder to bend all the way over. And so, you know, can some of these kind of containers and um, setups help people garden at, with any kind of, you know, so if, if mobility is an issue, let's take that out of the equation sort of a thing.
1: What else is a not-to-be-missed read in the 2024 Garden Guide?
3: Oh, gosh. Well, I love hanging baskets. You know, I think those are really fun. And I but I always kind of feel like, well, you know, um, if you don't care for them, or, you know, they don't go all season. So what that's a neat story, just how to get the most out of those, um, and, and kind of some simple ideas. So I think that's That's really fun. Um, I guess I would say, you know, I I really enjoy just some of the simple things I think that people are looking for. We've got a really just um, good guide about how to get your seed started. You know, that's where it begins. And so, you know, thinking about how to make sure that happens. Um, And then an old, I like some of the, once in a while we'll include something from um, an old issue and we've got a fun plot plan and it's how to make a border garden, but it's all edible. And so that's really fun, too. So you can have beans growing up your tree and, you know, your ground cover can be some cucumbers and there's even some fruits in there. So just a fun idea to think about edible forest or edible borders around your yard.
1: All right. I trust you would also have, uh, I mean, because this uh, this conversation uh, does kind of get one in the mood. But if uh, he or she has never uh, uh, gardened, uh, um, the newbie can begin, Carol?
3: Absolutely. I think that's what we we see. We call the garden guide for any skill level. You know, no matter if you're just starting out, you want to be inspired and you want to dream big. Yet we have some just, you know, hardcore skill building, DIY, directions based, you know, um, do one, two and three in this guide so that it's really for anybody who wants to jump in new. And also, you know, I'm I'm a longtime gardener and I always learn something. So it's really for everybody. All right, how
1: do I find out uh, more information according to you, editor of the 2024 Garden Guide, Carol?
3: Well, it's always easy to get anything we produce on almanac.com, which is also just full of you know thousands of pages for gardeners and weather nuts like ourselves. Um, and then we are in garden centers um, and and hardware stores. You'll see like Lowe's if that's around you, um, Tractor Supply. So we are on um, what is a shrinking newsstand these days, but they still have them. So we'll be out there. It's just out now. And then also Amazon is a great place to. Um, buy almanac
1: products choices we have get her done carol conair thank you very much keep on gardening thank you thank you shelly the week of february the 26th to march 3rd is a week-long campaign that aims to shed light light on the complexities of eating disorders it can be extremely difficult to discuss the consequences of having an eating disorder important life-saving conversation to have and of course that's what we have here turning to you medical director of behavioral health at priority health a pleasure dr charlotta dennis good morning
4: Good morning. Thanks for having
1: me. Thank you and uh, the good work uh, you do. Uh, previously having a conversation, and now we move on to this important week. I'll be blunt with the first question. Uh, why is it so important to, celeb- to celebrate, to literally put the the spotlight on Eating Disorders Awareness Week?
4: Well, to be honest, eating disorders affect about 9% of the U.S. population. This is almost... Thirty million Americans who are suffering at the behest of eating disorders. So it's important to bring awareness because there are our neighbors, our coworkers, our loved ones who are suffering and we at Priority Health, we're committed to helping improve the health and lives of the members and the communities we serve. Yes. So Yes. And, and this week, we particularly want to educate the public about the realities of eating disorders. We want to be able to recognize support, and effectively treat eating disorders. And public awareness is key. This year, the theme is get in the know. This is encouraging people to understand and learn about eating disorders.
1: What is an eating disorder?
4: There are several types of eating disorders. There can be um, the type that people have excessive uh, eating habits, meaning they can overeat, they can binge eat, but they also particularly are concerned about their weight, their body image. So you can see fluctuations in weight, whether it be up or down. And these things can cause behavioral concerns in the, you know, in the person um, because they're so focused on either the food or rituals or, or body image. So they can really be discouraging and really have um, thought misorganization. They can have low moods, irritability. So you want to make sure that we're watching out and and, and really educating the public about this issue.
1: So tell me uh, important warning signs of an eating disorder.
4: Yes, so you can notice some things like uh, behavioral changes in a person. Are are they shying away from things that they used to? Um, Are they withdrawing from activities or uh, friends? Do you notice different uh, food rituals? Is a person restricting what they eat or, you know, if if they're sitting down at the table, they may not, you know, want to indulge in the camaraderie or they they may not want to um, have meals with with others because they're hiding what they're doing, whether it's, you know, binging, taking a lot of food and hiding it and eating it in one sitting, or are they uh, purging themselves? Are they eating and then vomiting or... You know, are they restricting calories? Are they exercising frequently? This can be some signs that someone is, is struggling with an eating disorder. Yes.
1: And the follow-up, how does an eating disorder impact the body physically?
4: Oh, it can impact the entire body system from your heart to your brain to your muscles. Sometimes people with eating disorders, they can have heart problems because if they're excessively vom- vomiting, you don't have the electrolyte for your heart to, to pump the way it needs to. Also, if people are restricting their diet, they're not getting the nutrients that they need, so they may be malnourished. Not having enough nutrients can also slow down your brain functioning, especially if you're fasting a lot and starving. This can cause some cognitive impairment. Also, people can have digestive issues if you're not Um, eating the way you need to, if you're not getting proper nutrients, there can be a lot of vomiting, a lot of nausea, also can be um, diarrhea as well.
1: Talking with Dr. Charlotta Dennis, Medical Director of Behavioral Health at Priority Health, this upcoming week of Eating Disorder Awareness Week, uh, uh, put the attention to those who need care, February 26th to March 3rd. Oh boy, um, Before obviously I talk about treatment and or prevention, what are common misconceptions about eating disorders?
4: Well, one is that the primary focus is on food, but individuals with eating disorder, yes, they may have an unhealthy focus on food, but it's also beyond that. It's the body image, it's the thoughts of perfectionism. It can be obsessive thoughts about, you know, the way they look or how they feel. There also can be some symptoms of depression and anxiety. Also, another misconception is that this only impacts females. Men also are impacted by eating disorders. And lastly, eating disorder is not a choice. This is an actual illness that um, people are suffering from, and it requires treatment.
1: How is it treated in general?
4: In general... Medical um, professionals look at the mind and the body. So there can be different levels of treatment, and depending upon how severe the disorder is, is it that you need inpatient treatment because there are some physical manifestations that need to be monitored, like your heart, your your body weight? Or can you have um, just psychotherapy in order to get to the root of why you think the way you do about food and dieting. So depending upon how serious um, the symptoms are is going to dictate what type of treatment you have.
1: Can one prevent an eating disorder?
4: You can minimize um, the effects of an eating disorder. Prevention, um, when you talk about prevention, you have to look at what are the symptoms that are causing the disorder you may not necessarily be able to prevent it but you may be able to treat it for sure
1: all right um obviously early intervention important talk about the resources priority health has for those who might be struggling with the eating disorder
4: with priority health we have confidential health available 24 hours a day seven days a week our behavioral health team is available we also have uh, access to what's called My strength. This is a mental wellness tool to manage stress and bolster health.
1: Thank you very much. Best website, please.
4: Yes, that is priorityhealth.com forward slash MyStrength.
1: Appreciate you and this important topic uh, to acknowledge this week of February 26th to March 3rd, but uh, obviously all year round important. Dr. Charlotta, Dennis, Director, of course, Medical Director of Behavioral Health at Priority Health. Keep up your good work.
4: Thank you. Have a good one
1: just coming off voting yesterday let's continue the topic of politics getting into our topic a fascinating new book whistle stop politics campaign trains and the reporters who covered them good to speak with you political strategist and campaign train expert that's train expert edward siegel to talk about uh, well uh, someone else and more good morning to you edward
5: Good morning. Great to be with you today.
1: Appreciate you. You are a campaign train expert.
5: Yes, I've been studying the history of campaign trains, whistle stop trains, in American politics for many years. And I first got interested in the topic when early in my career I was had the opportunity to organize and promote a campaign train tour for a member of Congress in Oklahoma, and that's what got me interested in the topic. And. Researching information about the history of the trains became my pop, my uh, my hobby, mm-hmm. uh, my passion, and eventually this book. Yes,
1: you're praised by many. Bob Woodward, Bob Woodward says, in 52 years of journalism, he's never, I uh, have never made the campaign train or bus until whistle stop politics, and so uh, uh, praised uh, as well. And yes, uh, certainly coming off on Michigan voting day uh, yesterday, Tuesday. You put the spotlight. Let's begin our conversation on an Allison Dunnigan.
5: Yes, she was a black reporter working for several black newspapers in the 1940s. And she was the first black reporter to travel on a campaign train. And that was on Harry Truman's campaign train tour in his underdog fight for the White House Mm -hmm. in um, 1948. Excuse me, I'm going to have to clear my throat.
1: Clearing your throat is important. Again, talking with Edward, all about Edward Siegel, sharing several little-known anecdotes about Dunnigan's time following Truman's 1948 campaign train. Continue, continue, please.
5: I'm sorry, where did we leave off? I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: that's okay. Let's talk about um, in three, two, one. You a campaign train expert. Let's talk more about Alison Dunnigan.
5: Yes, Alice Dunnigan was a black reporter in the 1940s and 50s, and she was the first black reporter to travel on a campaign train, and that was on Harry Truman's uh, national tour in 1948 in his underdog fight uh, race for the White House.
1: so I want to back up just a half a step until I get into more specifics uh, about Allison and your writing. First of all, this this whole whistle-stop train. Take me back to what was happening in these times.
5: Well, in the 1940s, of course, 50s, and even later, uh, there was the Black Crow laws and heavy discrimination against uh, Black and other people of, of colors across the, the country, and it was quite unusual for a Black reporter to travel on a campaign train tour. But Alice Dunnigan uh, had that opportunity, and she was the first black reporter to accompany a presidential candidate, and that was on Harry Truman's underdog campaign for the White House in 1948.
1: Yes, and I understand she was recently honored in the White House press room?
5: Yes, they actually named, I believe, the podium or lectern her uh, in the White House. Uh, a statue has also been uh, erected uh, in her in her honor, and she was really uh, a trendsetter for her time, and she was the subject of discrimination uh, at the different points of uh, Truman's campaign t- uh, train tour, and it was unusual that uh, the president actually, when he heard about the incident, he visited her visited her in her uh, uh, car on a train, mm. asked if she was all right and uh, asked her to let her know if there was any of the future problems during the tour.
1: Thank you. I wanna stay with the topic. How, uh, obviously this perhaps an example, black women were treated differently from white women and why this history is crucial to remember. Can you expand, Edward?
5: Well, discrimination was a problem then right. and it took a lot of uh, courage for someone to break the barrier and do the right thing. And that's exactly what she did. She even had problems raising the funds to pay for her trip on the train and had to be very creative and resourceful to uh, find those uh, funds so she could accompany the president.
1: Yes. Other stories you present, fascinating and insightful stories about the nation's greatest presidents and, and how they treated minority groups while campaigning. Uh, again, uh, you dropped uh, the name of Truman, but uh, Dwight Eisenhower, Franklin Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, Yes.
5: Yes, in fact, it was uh, Dwight Eisenhower when he was campaigning by train in 1952. He was—he and his staff, of course, were aware of the Black Crow laws and the discrimination against blacks. And he wanted to make sure that none of the black reporters who was were on his train faced the same problem. So he scheduled his train so they would never stop in a segregated city overnight, because many of the reporters, when there was an overnight stay. Would get off the train and stay at a local hotel, and many of the village hotels, especially in the south at that time, uh, would not allow blacks to stay overnight. So, Eisenhower was very sensitive to that issue, and none of the black reporters on his train had to go through that issue.
1: Whistle stop politics. Campaign trains and the reporters who covered them, political strategist and campaign train expert Edward Siegel, putting the spotlight, of course, on Alison Dunnigan and more. And did the, uh, the whistle-stop train of a candidate's wife help change the role of women on the campaign trail? Yes. In
5: 1964, Lady Bird Johnston campaigned by train, her own campaign train tour throughout the South on behalf of her husband, Lyndon Baines Johnson. And that was another barrier breaking campaign uh, event because it was the first time that the spouse of a a president or presidential candidate had campaigned on her own train. And I really think that helped set a new tone and a new direction and cast women in a new, very important role that they could be independent of their husbands and campaign on their behalf. And I think that was a really important event that helped change the perception uh, that people had about the role of women on the campaign trail.
1: Nice. Forming political coalitions, Edward, uh, has this ha- helped further the rights and interests of marginalized groups throughout history?
5: Well, it didn't hurt uh, because it put in a important public spotlight the importance of women on the campaign trail. And I think that anything that is done to help change uh, stereotypes and help fight against discrimination is a good thing. Uh, this was not the role of campaign cranes. I think it was a, a benefit uh, afterwards looking back. Uh, hindsight, of course, is always 2020, and it might not have seemed important at the time, but uh, looking back throughout history, I think campaign cranes, uh, and the candidates and uh, the reporters who cover them did set new trends, did break barriers, and help uh, right important wrongs.
1: What's the future of a whistle stop uh, politician?
5: Well, it really depends on the politician. Mm. It's more likely that a national candidate uh, running for the White House uh, would uh, uh, conduct a uh, national campaign train tour, but it's not cheap, it's not easy, and it certainly takes Mm. a lot of time money and effort. You don't wake up one day and say, I know I'm gonna do a campaign train tour today. It takes weeks or months of preparation and coordination with Amtrak or whatever railroad company will be used for the campaign. But uh, even uh, regional or statewide candidates have campaigned by train. The last one to do so was in 2022, Peter Welch campaigning for Senate in Vermont did a campaign train tour. And that uh, that helped, and he won his election. So campaign cranes are not as common as they had been in the past, but I do think they are alive and well on some campaign crane, campaign crane trails.
1: Sure. And Edward, uh, I like the front cover. Uh, who is this? Uh, take us back to this time.
5: Yeah, the cover of the book uh, is of uh, an image of Theodore Roosevelt. He was uh, president in the 1900s. Uh, and he uh, campaigned by train several times throughout his career. The image on the cover of the book is of him at a campaign rally in uh, Lawrence, Massachusetts, and it was unusual. The image itself is unusual because it's the first uh, image that I found where you actually show interaction between the candidate on the back of the train and the thousands of people that came to see him. You could see people waving their hats or uh, waving their hands or arms, so I think it was a really interesting picture to use to help demonstrate what campaigns were and the energy and enthusiasm that they helped to generate among the people who came to see them.
1: Concur, bringing us back, and yet we move forward. Whistle Stop Politics campaign trains and the reporters who covered them. Edward Siegel, how do we find out more information?
5: You can visit my website at whistlestoppolitics.com. That's WhistleStopPolitics.com. You'll find uh, ways to order the book. And also there's a chronology of whistle-stopping politicians over the last uh, 185 years or so. There's images of uh, whistle-stopping politicians and also memorabilia from campaign train tours from different candidates over the years.
1: I'm marching on, but thanks for that reminder of history. Edward, thank you for your time. What's to stop politics at where all fine books are sold? Thank you.
5: Thanks. Good to be with you.